Today's episode of Beyond the Mask is presented by the insurance specialists at BrightThink Wealth Strategies. Find the disability insurance coverage that fits you best right now. Email Robert Smith at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. The show is also made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. Get a free consultation today to be guided through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Just visit crnafinancialplanning.com. And don't forget, listening to our podcast can earn you Class B credits. For more information on how you can submit them, check out the CE Credit tab on our website, beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Welcome to Beyond the Mask, innovation and opportunities for CRNAs and advanced practice nurses with certified financial planner Jeremy Stanley and CRNA Sharon Pierce. Jeremy Stanley has worked with CRNAs for more than 23 years, and Sharon Pierce is a former president of the AANA and the NCANA. Join us as we leave the operating room and learn the latest in the CRNA and advanced practice nurse industries. Beyond the Mask starts in 10, 9, 8, 7. Sharon, how are you? How are you today, Jeremy? I'm doing well. Doing well. Can't complain. You know, life is good. We got plenty of rain. <laughs> Lots of rain. <laughs> you know, I mean, I look out at the forecast, and it's sixty percent of the days are rain. So, I figure God says we need rain. I guess so. Right? We might have to build an ark soon. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we just might. Uh, well, Sharon, we have another, I think, wonderful speaker and great topic today. And why don't you introduce our speaker today? We'll switch Absolutely. It up a well, we've had him on our podcast we have, before. Yeah. And so, welcome to Ernest Grant, uh, fellow North Carolinian and past president uh, of the American Nurses Association, but not by long. So, Grant, uh, Ernest, why don't you go ahead and I called you Grant for a minute. My son in law's <laughs> name is Grant. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ernest, why don't you take it away and uh, tell us a little bit more about yourself in case people didn't listen to your other podcast with us, and then tell us what your topic is for today. All right. Well, uh, thank you very much for having me. First, I need to apologize to your audience because I am uh, speaking uh, from a hotel room in Washington, D.C., and uh, you uh, may have heard the siren go through, so uh, <laughs> there may be other disruptions, as, uh, as as we know, D.C. tends to be uh, quite a busy place when it comes to uh, emer- emergency medical services. But uh, uh, so uh, my term ended as uh, the uh, 36th president of the American Nurses Association on December 31st of last year, uh, midnight to be exact. And uh, I couldn't wait to. <laughs> Were you awake at midnight? <laughs> uh, no, I was not, actually. <laughs> I could see you there popping the bottle, you know. Yeah. Hey. No, I, I did promise the incoming president who is uh, who lives in Oregon that I was going to call her at midnight our time, which would have been nine o'clock her time, just to say, hey, you, you get it three hours earlier. But I, uh, <laughs> uh, I was uh, asleep myself, so um, uh, so we just had that silent transition. But uh, I'm finding um, it took a little over a month for me to. Uh, wake up every day and uh, not feel that huh, I should be in a meeting or planning for an interview or, or something <laughs> like that. So, uh, but uh, things are, are going very, very well, and uh, we'll continue 
uh, in uh, the capacity of uh, representing ANA on the Commission to Address Racism in Nursing, which we had talked about uh, before coming on to the uh, uh, podcast, and uh, also ANA's reconciliation work. So that's the reason I'm here in uh, D.C. right at the moment. But uh, hopefully today we're going to talk about the uh, nursing workforce issues and some of the things that we've been um, uh, doing and, and working about. So um, ready when you are. Yeah, and then maybe we'll talk a little about what's next for Ernest, too, here. So, yeah. Yeah. Yes. So, all right. So, Ernest, why is this shortage maybe different than some of the others that have occurred over the years? That's a really great uh, great question. And this shortage, it's uh, actually, I wouldn't call it a shortage. I would call it a crisis. Oh, and, yes. and actually, uh, in the, uh, September 7th of 2021, I actually wrote a letter to Secretary of Health and Human Services, Bocera, asking him to declare it a crisis as opposed to a, a shortage because we've never seen anything like this before. I've been a nurse, um, well, going into my fourth decade now and have experienced a lot of shortages. Mm -hmm. uh, but this one is one that um, not only uh, the, the pandemic, I think, uh, uh, you know, exacerbated the shortage, but it was predicted about 20 years ago. And it's failure on the part of, you know, uh, those of us in nursing education, those of us in administration, those of us in, you know, as far as with uh, payers and uh, hospital administrators and at the federal government level, when you think of, um, you know, the uh, Bureau of, of Labor Statistics, failure of us to uh, adhere to the warnings that was put out about 20 years ago when it was projected that uh, you're going to have people such as myself, the you know baby boomers uh, preparing to retire, people who are living longer, so therefore there's an increased need for nursing services and the failure to properly plan for that and the shift of healthcare from the acute care setting out into the community or long-term care and you know places like that. And of course, as, as hospitals have begun to do that, they're still having their uh, major services still at, at the central location, but as they offer, you know, um, essentially branch services or, or services out in the community, there's still that increased need for healthcare, uh, you know, there as well. So an increased need for, for nurses at, at that particular point. And we already um, were short about, uh, uh, depending on who you read, anywhere from a half to one million nurses already. And we only graduate about, um, you know, between 125 to 250,000 nurses a year. So you can't backfill a huge deficit that was already there. And on top of that, uh, you know, once COVID struck and having uh, uh, an even more uh, greater amount of retirement than we had anticipated. So sorry for the very long answer, but that's uh, and that's only just scratching the, the, the surface as far as, um, you know, uh, addressing that. But. Uh, but yes, this uh, this crisis is something that um, is really going to be with us for, uh, I fear, quite some time. So why should consumers be concerned about that? And we'll all be consumers of nursing care mm -hmm. eventually, whether you yeah. want to be or not. But that's a really great question, Sharon. And, and the part of it is because uh, the consumer, when they go to their health care provider, when they go to their hospitals, when they go to uh, the nursing homes, perhaps to visit, uh, you know, their loved ones in, in you know, long-term care or even, you know, school nurses and et cetera, the, the services that they are expecting, uh, it's not going to be there. Or if it is going to be there, it's going to be not as um, robust, if you will, as it once was. 
uh, because nurses are extremely stressed uh, and stretched. And so therefore being asked to, to do more with less means that uh, as a result of that, they're having to um, uh, stop and either take on one, two, three more patients or so, which means that I can't spend that time with you at the bedside that I would like to because I've got three other additional patients or four other additional patients I need to take care of. And we're already seeing that and hearing the consumer, uh, you know, issue those complaints. But it's unfortunate. It's not until they actually need the services that they begin to realize that, you know, the extent of the, the shortage and how it is impacting them. What we really need is for the consumer to be savvy enough to uh, talk to you know, hospital administrators to talk to their their leaders at the uh, you know the the local and state level to say this is not uh, you know what we signed up for in, mm-hmm. in a way or or this is not what we expect uh, you know it's unacceptable and uh, they need to do something about it so uh, so yes in the end it is the consumer who's going to to suffer but it's also nursing personnel that's suffering as well because of how overworked that uh, they are. So Ernest, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a, a couple of things that, that you probably weren't prepared for before this, but I, I know you can roll with this. So, you know, my daughter is in is in nursing school right now. She's graduating mm-hmm. in May. Um, but she chose a great profession. She chose a great profession, but I but you know, eventually she's probably going to go to anesthesia school. That's mm-hmm. kind of her um, path at this point. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's been some things that I've noticed. You know, I hear about the shortage and so forth, and maybe we can take some of these topics individually. But first and foremost, the school that she's going to only accepts a certain amount of students per year, and it is overwhelmingly tough to get into this program, okay? Mm -hmm. And I mean tough beyond what I would have ever thought it should have been, first and foremost. Mm -hmm. Secondarily, um, my daughter is a student and she's, you know, studies a lot. But when she says to me, Dad, um, you know, all my friends who are business majors and fashion majors and this, that or the other, they're all going out Friday and Saturday nights and I'm having to study and, you know, I'm putting all this time in and they're not having to. Um, So part of me, obviously, thinking through this is thinking, are we really tough on the education piece? Maybe tougher than we should be. And the other part of that is if we're, if we are, we're pushing away students who could probably do the job, but because it's so tough, um, they're not doing that as a career choice. And and then another piece to this is, and you mentioned it a minute ago, the the work environment is not a great environment. You know, I mean, I know where Lauren's taking a job. She's going to be working, six months, night shift, six months, day shift. And to be honest with you, this millennial group and these folks coming out, this is not the type of environment that they want to see themselves in. This isn't the same generation it was 10, 20 years ago. So all these things manifesting itself on top of, you know, you mentioned that the baby boomers retiring and moving out of the the workforce. Then we had COVID, but it all starts with bringing new people in, 125 to 250,000. Is there something that we need to be doing on the front end of this to address this as well? Yes and no. Uh, Yeah, and uh, here's uh, the the reason I I say both of those. Yes, we still need to be able to bring in more 
qualified uh, you know students uh, right. or, or nursing students, and uh, we need to start early. Uh, you know, a lot of people think ah, you know seventh, eighth, ninth grade or whatever. No, we need to start actually with uh, people in the the second and third grade. And the reason that I say that is that they need to get implanted right there. You know, they need to be exposed to nurses, um, particularly you know, nurses from all genders, you know, both male and female and all ethnicity. Because if I see someone that looks like me, mm-hmm. that's someone that I can aspire to. But they right. also need to be told, you know, how tough it's going to be that we do take those STEM courses that uh, a pharmacist is going to take or a physician is going to take or an engineer is going to take or, or whatever. So that, uh, you know, they can see that nursing is a true profession and that nursing is highly competitive. Now, to, uh, to to your daughter's sake about having to study and et cetera, I could, uh, you know, my the same thing happened to me, you know, like 40 years ago yeah. when I was in nursing school. It was very, very tough because you're dealing with people's lives. So you do want somebody who is going to be very well versed, that can do the critical thinking and et cetera, that it's going to take in order to um uh, help get that person over the crisis that they are in. And of course, nowadays, we're not only having to apply those critical thinking skills, but we're also having to embrace uh, innovation that, uh, you know, supposedly designed to make our job easier. Uh, but in some instances, uh, it's making it a, a, a little tougher because the electronic medical record, you know, if we're not checking those those uh, boxes, boxes that says we did or did not do something, right. then you're, you're going to be reprimanded in some way or another, even though you can try to explain to, uh, you know, uh, that that patient needed me to be there to hold their hands. Maybe they were told some really devastating news and and the, the, the nurse in me recognized that I needed to be more empathetic or spend more time with this person, but yet you're going to ding me because I didn't check that box at the, you know, b- before I ended my shift. And, uh, you know, somehow the electronic medical records doesn't quite allow for that. And it, it really should be able to, uh, to do that. As far as with being able to admit more students, uh, first of all, we got to get more, more faculty, faculty, more, uh, clinically uh, and uh, theory uh, trained, uh, qualified uh, faculty to be able to to do that. And of course, more clinical space, uh, because obviously if you increase the the enrollment, you got to, you know, they all have to have, uh, what is it? I think about 240 hours of clinical time as well during their, the the course of their, their studies. And of course, so where are we going to, uh, you know, have those? You know, it's it's sort of a almost like a, a dog chasing his tail, if you will. Yeah. Uh, but I, I truly think that um, as we are getting our legislators to put more money uh, towards more faculty, more more buildings, more um, of the uh, simulation labs, and et cetera, that will that, that when that person does graduate, we have a much more well qualified, competent nurse you know, then that's going to be the the answer. But it's a matter, it's going to take time to build those buildings, to build those simulation labs, to uh, get the um, someone who wants to be a nursing instructor uh, to have the the skills and the uh, the qualifications that will meet that heavy demand as well. So uh, I don't know if that fully answers your question, but uh, but again, and one of the other things you you sort of implied that your your daughter is maybe one of the millennials who is not used to working a, a very uh, 
tough job, if you will. But nursing is very tough. Mm -hmm. And uh, I know uh, when I was an administrator and I would interview someone, uh, especially a, a new grad, and they would come in with, well, I only want to work Monday through Fridays, or, you know, I don't want to do nights and et cetera. And it's like, Sorry, you, you got to, you know, uh, either rethink why you went into nursing, because that's, you know, it, you know, people need the care 24 seven. And it's going to take all of us working together. Can you imagine giving a, a, a new grad, you know, only day shifts, or as someone who has been on the, um, the unit for quite some time, uh, you know, still having to rotate to, to nights? Uh, no, you uh, you know, right. You, you do, That's right. why I don't take yeah. call anymore. Well, either, yeah. Right. After giving yeah. anesthesia for 31 yeah. years. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm yeah. hearing a couple of things, Ernest. One is you hit the nail on the head. This was a problem 20 years ago. That's not going to be mm-hmm. solved overnight. Um, and that's, that's very obvious here. So we are more in a crisis than a shortage. That, that's mm-hmm. completely evident at this point. Mm-hmm. And, and then, you know, as far as the, the environment goes, I mean, you know how do you how do you get more people interested? And you said something about you know maybe letting starting you know in their their second grade or third grade. I was in the second grade when I decided to be a nurse. Yeah, so I mean, if if they know the work environment is going to be tough, if they know the the, the job itself is going to be tough, and obviously the education is going to be tough to get there. And, you know, salaries have come up, but obviously they're not making what positions are making and so forth. How do you convince that person that this might be the job for them, given all these difficult circumstances? Because right now, with the shortage, you need numbers, you know, and, but you, you want quality and patient care. But where's that line at? You know, the, the, that's a really great question. And I, I think the, the line is, is that the, uh, you know, they should get some inkling of that while they are students and doing clinical, uh, you know, that um, uh, and even as a student, keep in mind, you're only taking care of usually one or two patients, you know, right. at that particular time. So if you don't have a, uh, you know, the, the opportunity to um, keep up at that particular point, then, you know, it's definitely something that you need to sort of think about. Uh, either where and what area do I want to practice that, uh, you know, maybe uh, the patient population is not as, or nurse-patient ratio will not be as high. Um, You know, I'm thinking like maybe psych or outpatient surgery or, Mm -hmm. you know, the recovery room or, you know, something like that. There are some areas where, you know, you can go and the patient, uh, you know, uh, nurse-patient ratio is not going to be as, um, as high as what we're hearing about on, say, a med search floor or a right. medicine floor, and et cetera. Uh, but it, it has to be instilled into them that, uh, you know, this is what nursing is, uh, is that you, yeah. uh, you know, you do have to bite the bullet and realize that uh, there's a lot that's going to be asked of you. And uh, sometimes you, you do maybe have to ask yourself, am I cut out to be a nurse or am yeah. I cut out to be a nurse in this particular setting, because we're we're talking about the acute care setting. But keep in mind, nursing has so many different mm-hmm. opportunities. You could be a school right. nurse. You could be a public health nurse. You could do, you know, private duty or you know, as uh, you know, or, or whatever. You know, because concierge nursing is you know is up and coming as well. So you know, there's a lot of different opportunities to consider. It doesn't necessarily have to be in the acute care setting where we mostly think of where nursing uh, is located. 
As a CRNA, you spend years preparing yourself for this career, so we don't want to see you lose out on any of the income you've worked so hard to earn. The best way to protect yourself and give you the confidence that a major life event won't disrupt your financial future is through disability insurance. We've known disability income specialist Robert Smith for many years and have seen the work he's done with nearly 2,000 CRNAs over multiple decades. He can help identify any gaps in your existing coverage and fill those gaps by finding the best value on a policy. Contact Robert and let him know you heard about him on our podcast. Send him an email at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. That's rsmithjr at financialguide.com. Or call him at 504-394-6557. Protect your greatest asset as a CRNA, yourself and your ability to earn a living by adding disability insurance to your financial plan. So what is it, you talked a little bit about work environment. What is it that overall you think nurses want in their work environment? Boy, you guys are really asking the, the, the really <laughs> tough but right questions at, at the moment. So, you know, um, for the last two years, uh, the American Nurses Association, the Association of Critical Care Nurses, AONL, HICFA, um, you know, IHI, you know, there's a, a group that has been, we, we started a workforce task force. And one of the first things that they did was to listen to nurses, you know, what it is that nurses want. And, uh, you know, as far as, and trying to um, ascertain why nurses are leaving the bedside. And it boils down to about six things that nurses are, uh, you know, ha- have determined that uh, this is what we want. The first thing, and of course, a lot of people think that, you know, it's probably compensation. It is compensation, but compensation is actually number six. Uh, The first thing is that they want a safe and healthy work environment. And what do we mean by that? Well, uh, that means that there's enough staff to ensure that, uh, you know, uh, pay, uh, not pay, but uh, that uh, the workload is evenly distributed and that I can spend that time with the, uh, the, the patient check all those boxes on the electronic medical record and leave work on time, you know, because right. we know working 12 hours quickly can turn into 13 or 14 hours or so. And, uh, and then to have to turn back around and, uh, uh, and come back into work, you know, you think, Oh, well, I should be leave by seven. So that gives me you know roughly about 10 hours or so to get home and, you know, get some rest. But now that I'm leaving work at nine o'clock, well, now I'm only going to get about four or five hours worth of sleep. And if you keep repeating this, there's going to be acts of omission and commission, which is going to be detrimental to the nurse and the patient that they're caring for. It could also mean that uh, safe environment that I'm not assaulted by a patient or a patient family member or even my colleagues. Uh, and if I am, that I am supported by that policy that supposedly exists that, that says that we have a zero tolerance policy, but when nurses go to report such incidents. In a lot of cases, they are um, encouraged to not do so by either HR or whatever, because, you know, a, a lot of facilities are thinking about those press gainy scores, you know, and, and the message you're sending to the nurse is that, uh, you know, we value those press gainy scores more so than we do, you know, what may have happened to you. So that's, uh, th- that's one thing. That the, has the sec- gotten better, don't you think, though? Well, Ernest, in I've a way, but, but when you, when you stop and think, that, um, you know, what was it just in October, uh, even in our state of North Carolina, where you had a, a nurse who was murdered by a, a patient, 
or in Texas where we had, yeah. uh, uh, you know, two nurses who were killed by, and, and granted mental health, sure, you know, sure. uh, applies in, in those cases, but it's still something to think about. Or even in uh, Seattle where you had a home health nurse who was, uh, you know, who was shot. Yeah. Uh, well, so, I'm talking more in the, in the workforce itself. In the workplace because, setting, yeah. yeah, yeah. Because oh, well, absolutely. I've had absolutely. bags of blood thrown at me by surgeons, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, instruments. Only yeah, once yeah, yeah. every time, but <laughs> you know those kind of things don't. Yeah, don't. I don't think right. they happen the way they used to twenty, no, thirty no, years but, ago. But uh, but we need to be cognizant of they can potentially happen because of you know again just a colleague who's overstressed and work and you know unfortunately something may happen and that could be the straw that breaks the camel's back that uh, you know, we wouldn't necessarily think about. Uh, the, the second thing is, of course, um, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion, you know, looking at opportunities for advancement in leadership and uh, et cetera. Uh, a couple of others that uh, you know, has been stressed is a flexible work schedule, um, you know, that uh, a lot of facilities now are looking at the idea of, is 12 hours really where we want to be now? Maybe we need to go back to working those eight-hour shifts. You know, uh, eight-hour shifts were working really great. And what brought about the change to 12 hours was that, you know, it was enticing to say, well, you only have to work three days, one week, four days the next, and you got that extra full day off. Or you could fix it to where you'd have like four days in a row off, you know. And, and that may work for some of the younger nurses, but uh, maybe for some of the older nurses that that are there or nurses who've been retired, you know, inviting them to be able to come back and do, you know, either four hours or eight hours or two retired nurses split an eight hour shift. And for the unit to figure out, OK, when's the most crucial time that we're really, really busy that we could use that extra pair of hands? Mm -hmm. It may not be that that uh, uh, older nurse comes in at uh, you know seven or eight o'clock. Maybe we need them around 10 o'clock if they can work from 10 to two or something to, you know, to help get the uh, uh, the unit over that crucial hump is something that a lot of people are exploring uh, uh, you know, along those lines as well. And of course, as I said, the, the last one of those was compensation. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, nurses need to be paid for what we are worth, um, you know, and uh, also uh, along with that, it's not just, um, you know, the hourly rate, but other benefits that, uh, you know, that we should be uh, entitled to as well, you know, looking at uh, days off or, or uh, paid time off or holiday, you know, premium pays, you know, things of that sort, uh, or, um, you know, what may feel valued to me as a as a baby boomer. Obviously, I'm at the point where, uh, you know, I have a defined benefit plan. And I know that, you know, when I retired, you know, I was going to get a certain, uh, you know, guaranteed payment. Well, for a younger nurse, they perhaps aren't interested in that defined benefit plan. They want that portable 401k that they can take with them as well. So, uh, you know, those are some of the things that we need to take into consideration that would, uh, uh, you know, help to uh, retain nurses and keep them at the bedside. And also, uh, as I said, offer for that retired nurse to be able to come back and work, um, you know, uh, if it is just four hours or, or eight hours. Um, and, uh, you know, it's it helps everyone all the way around. Ernest, you, you've kind of mentioned, you know, what employers could possibly do to alleviate some of this, but what could or should the government be doing to kind of help alleviate some of this shortage problem? You being in Washington, you know, the opportune time, right? <laughs> yes. Well, you know, when I, when I wrote that letter to Secretary Becerra that I uh, had mentioned um, at the beginning of the, uh, of the podcast, it was an eight-page letter. 
And I know that you don't write and complain without <laughs> providing some solutions. Right. And four of those eight pages were solutions that, uh, you know, that uh, the, uh, the the federal government and, you know, state and local governments could do. You know, in that, I said, let's look. We need to invite everybody who is involved to the table. That's nurses. That's uh, hospital administrators. That's the payers. That's uh, you know the Department of Labor. That's HHS folks. You know everybody. You know that has a stake in uh, you know why this shortage is occurring or what we can do to to help alleviate the shortage. And let's look at um, you know what we can achieve for long, short term, and long term goals. You know because it is it's not going to be solved overnight. But there are some things that. Uh, that we can be doing. And part of it is, yes, the federal government perhaps putting uh, more funding towards that, like towards nursing education and, uh, you know, for uh, being able to, to elevate maybe that LPN or that nursing assistant who want to be able to become RNs, but they can't because they, you know, they feel trapped in, uh, you know, the, the, work. the work that they do. <laughs> right. So offer them some scholarships or, you know, or or something that would make it easier for, for them to be able to um, do that. But uh, other things that the federal government can do, of course, is, uh, uh, you know, help us to look at or explore, you know, what may be new models of care that could um, be compensated for uh, by the services that nurses bring. Uh, I also, I've been a strong advocate, I think when I was on the, the show the, the last time, I mentioned about the um, advocating for nurses to be able to charge for the services mm-hmm. that they provide. Mm-hmm. You know, no other member of the healthcare team is included in room and board. But we call ourselves a profession, but we're treated as a commodity. Mm. Um, you know, but if our physician colleagues can charge what they do, if our pharmacists uh, colleagues can charge for the services that they provide, respiratory therapists, physical therapists, occupational therapists, all these different professions, if you will, can charge independently for the services that they bring. Why is nursing still stuck on, uh, you know, included in the room and board? Uh, it's like the it, hotel industry. Right, right. Yeah. It, it just doesn't make That's, sense at all. Mm. Uh, you know, so we have got to find our voice and be at the table. You know, one of my favorite saying, and Sharon, I'm sure you're probably familiar with this, is that if you're not at the table, you're on the, the menu. menu. <laughs> and we have certainly been on the menu a little too long. I, I think now they have cut us down to the bone now, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, as they've been chewing on us. And uh, we need to be able to say, uh, this will not stand any longer. We need to find our voice and uh, be able to advocate for, you know, who we are as a profession and uh, stop um, advocating or, or perpetuating the, sta- the uh, status quo. Uh, again, as I said, if, if we don't have a voice in how our profession is practiced, it is going to be someone with an MBA who's just looking at numbers and who thinks that a nurse is a nurse is a nurse, and uh, they are going to be the ones who are making the decision about how we as a profession practice. And as you know, as we say down south, that ain't right. Yeah, but it is already happening. Today's show is brought to you by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. From planning for a child's future college expenses to building a predictable income stream in retirement, the firm is committed to offering you comprehensive financial services customized to fit your unique needs and objectives. If you have questions about your financial future, get them answered. Call the team at 855 855- 
855-304-3748. That's 855-304-3748. Or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Now, mm-hmm. in light of the strike in New York, mm-hmm. and they mm-hmm. were basically, one of the reasons why they were striking were ratios. Do you think that's mm-hmm. a solution? I can think of some situations where that, that works perfectly. And of course, um, you know, uh, California has had ratios for quite some time, and it seems to work well there. But in some cases where you may have critical access or, or uh, you know, s- situations or uh, even certain units that may have specific uh, situations, that may not be applicable, or or at least maybe a, uh, or I should say a designated ratio. I think like in California, it's four to one. Uh, you know, some other states, uh, you know, it's like five to one or six to one or so. It would depend upon the expertise of the, uh, the nurse that may be involved. It may depend on the uh, particular unit. Uh, that may be there, obviously, in critical care or like in my background, you know, with, uh, with burns in critical care. You yourself know that all it takes mm-hmm. is one phone call when you're getting six admissions in, you know, that could be critically uh, uh, injured. We got to be able to flex up and flex down, uh, you know, in certain situations. So I would say that ratios may be one uh, aspect to consider, but there certainly are some other things to take into consideration as well. So this is where having like a staffing governance that has some teeth, uh, you know, it's one thing to to have a uh, staffing governance committee, but if they don't have any teeth to enforce that, or if you have, uh, there are some states that have passed, you know, staffing laws, but again, if they don't have teeth to uh, enforce, enforce those, it. then uh, that's going to be, you know, again, it's not really getting us anywhere. Uh, it just looks good on paper, but uh, it doesn't necessarily uh, rectify the the actual situation of what is going on. So I think, yes, uh, you know, ratios may be a part or, or one uh, potential uh, answer to the problem, but it is not the definitive answer. Hmm. Well, you know, some hospitals are recruiting, you know, nurses who were educated or trained in, in foreign countries and so forth. I mean, do you think this could be a partial solution to the problem or what's your opinion on this? Well, I have mixed uh, mixed feelings about that because the, the first thing I'm thinking of is that you're robbing Peter to pay Paul. You know, there's mm-hmm. a nursing shortage globally, right. and I, I I don't think that it's fair to pull nurses from a country that uh, is maybe hurting just as bad as the United States is, just to you know benefit uh, you know folks here. That yeah. being said, though, in situations where we know that there are a few countries, what you know, such as uh, the Philippines, um, a few African countries or whatever that, uh, you know, do send a a fair amount of of their nurse graduates here to the United States to work. And of course, it benefits them because they they can send money home, you know, back home and help out, uh, you know, their families back home. And that's all well and good. The thing uh, about bringing in uh, foreign nurse nurse graduates, and and I'm not against it, uh, you know, if they're able to, uh, of course, there's uh, certain situations in which obviously their nursing education has to be evaluated against ours and you know being able to pass the NCLEX and et cetera and uh, you know uh, you know fit right in but part of it will depend upon how long it may take for them to get um, acclimated if you will to what uh, you know how nursing is done here in the United States as compared to their country of origin so uh, that is definitely something to uh, to think about and then I've had some nurses uh, say to me that 
you know, the monies that a lot of facilities are using to bring that nurse over here or those nurses over here. And, and by those, I mean, multiples of nurses, not <laughs> not right. uh, in a, a, a sling uh, uh, format, uh, that that is money that could be used to uh, help compensate them at the, uh, you know, the bedside. Mm-hmm. Because one of the things that they're thinking about is, I've proven my loyalty to this organization. So what are they doing to, you know, to show their appreciation to to me? Yes, you're providing a, another warm body, you know, that is here, but it is going to take that person some time before they're able to uh, essentially fly on their own, if you will. But it still means that I'm having to do more because I'm just like if it's a, a travel nurse, I'm having to ensure that our policies and procedures are adhered to and uh, plus do my work on top of that as well. So um, they are, uh, you know, maybe uh, by asking that, you know, they be recognized or compensated in some way or another, uh, some form or or another may be, uh, you know, something that needs to be considered as well. Hey, Sharon, we've got some exciting news to share with people today, don't we? Yes, we do. And why don't you let the cat out of the bag, Jeremy? <laughs> wow, I don't usually put cats in bags. Is that kind of a deep-seated <laughs> thing with you or what? You know. Uh, well, you know, some of our listeners know we've been doing live podcasts around the country at different state association meetings, A&A events, and so forth. And May 4th through the 7th, we're actually going to be at the Pennsylvania State Meeting. Sharon, you've been there a lot and spoken a lot there. Um, at the Hotel Hershey. Um, yes. Yeah, and I've never been to the Hotel Hershey. So I'm kind oh of my gosh, you are that. in for a treat. When you check in, they ask you milk or dark because you get chocolate when you check in. Mm, wow. It's it's really cool. So, listeners, if you want to go to a great meeting, Pennsylvania puts on a great meeting. We'll be doing the live podcast taping there and. They're going to be having a party there, too. And guess who the DJ is? Uh, let me think. Does his last name end with Pierce? Yes, it does. DJ so Pierce come will and be join us. <laughs> Can't leave the house without him anymore, you know? That's right. So join us in, in Pennsylvania at the Hotel Hershey, May 4th through the 7th, and come to a great meeting. So we've talked a little bit about the problem and some of the solutions but where do you think this is really going to go and what do you see in the future with this shortage well uh, obviously uh, the shortage is going to persist for a while you know it's estimated that uh, even by uh, what is it 2025 i think we're going to need another million or million and a half nurses uh, on top of uh, you know the shortage that we have now so where are we going to get those uh, those nurses from i think that you know as far as We've got to put a system in place where nurses uh, feel valued, mm-hmm. where nurses who have chosen, some people would say there's not really a nursing shortage. There is a shortage of nurses who are choosing not to work for their employer or, or not to work in the acute care setting. So maybe we need to, uh, again, by addressing potentially new models of care, by addressing you know, compensation packages and et cetera. What, what will it take to bring nurses back, uh, you know, who are choosing to stay at home or who are choosing to work in the gig economy? Um, you know, there's a, a lot out now about uh, not only concierge nursing, but, you know, where 
hospitals will post you know, that we have a need for a nurse. We're going to, uh, you know, we need you for eight hours or so. We're going to pay this amount and et cetera. And nurses either bid on on that particular job or they will quickly uh, take that, allowing for more flexibility of their schedules. Uh, maybe that's, uh, you know, putting those things in place or maybe some of the, the ways to uh, help alleviate the shortage by uh, uh, making it more, you know, the schedules more flexible for nurses who want to be, um uh, parents, you know, uh, go to their child's baseball games or to, you know, the the ballet, you know, uh, recital that their their kids may be having and et cetera. And just a chance to have a, a life outside of the acute care setting. So uh, maybe, uh, you know, that is one of the things that uh, employers may need to to look at is how can we meet our needs, but still meet the, the needs of uh, of our nurses as well. Yeah. What I'm hearing you say is there's still a whole lot yeah. of work to do. Oh, yes. Well, yes. There's still know, a whole lot to be what done. What I appreciated about what happened in New York is nursing was taking control of its own destiny instead mm, of us sitting here and saying, you know, the federal government needs to help us. Somebody needs to, we need to take control of our own destiny. Mm, and we point. need to stand up and say, this is what we want, but it's 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 hard to get your arms around it. I I, I get that. Yeah. Now mm-hmm. we've talked about millennials a lot. You know, I mm-hmm. love millennials. Yeah. Uh, they just think differently. They, they, they do, yeah, they but do. they will they never put up with the you know what that we mm-hmm. put up with. And Absolutely. so I have a I have a great outlook because they will not do it, and they will find a solution. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, to get it done. But here's, I agree with you wholeheartedly, Sharon. The thing that I think, though, that they um, they need to come together. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, typically, you know, we're dealing with a group that are focused on apps and uh, you know things that they can find here. They don't tend to be joiners mm-hmm. of organizations, or if they are, you know, it's only for this one reason. And once that reason is is solved or addressed, then I'm out of here. What's you know what's next? They need to understand, just like what was taught to uh, to to all of us when we were in nursing school, that if you're going to consider yourself a professional nurse, you join your professional organization. And it's one thing, as I would tell my students, it's one thing to be a member. It's another thing to be an active member. And that's what it's going to take is, uh, you know, people being active because there's strength in numbers. And, you know, once those um, legislators or uh, other individuals who uh, are destined to try to control who we are as nurses in our profession, once they begin to see that, uh, you know, that we are roaring and roaring big time, uh, you know, that's what's going to help us to promote change as well and embrace, you know, innovation and technology as well. That would, uh, you know, those things that will, again, help to make us um, work more efficiently, uh, more effectively and, uh, you know, and be able to have that flexible, uh, you know, schedule and, and time off that we so crave so, so much. Yeah. Well, to your point, I'll give you an example. I just uh, was talking to a CRNA, and she was telling about this new lung protective ventilation thing that she were she was using at the hospital that she worked at. And I work at a hospital a couple days a week, and I could not wait to get to work because I work with a lot of these kids who just come out of anesthesia school, and I wanted to hear what they had to say about that. I couldn't wait. So I go into the lounge. There's about six CRNA sitting in there Mm -hmm. and I'm standing there and I looked around 
and they were all on their phones. Mm-hmm. And I said, how do y'all learn from each other? I mean, the anesthesia lounge <laughs> used to be the place where you come in mm-hmm. and you told about this bad airway you just had. And somebody goes, you know, I had that happen. And this is what I did. And you learn from each other. I said, how do you guys learn from each other and your experiences? All six of you are sitting in here and it sounds like a tomb. <laughs> <laughs> And so yeah. I do have my concerns, and and yeah. and I yeah. I hear you, but they just won't tolerate the things that that right. we no. tolerated. Right. So no. if we right. can marry the good parts about us baby boomers with the good parts of the millennials, <laughs> yeah. now there's the answer. There you go. There's the answer. <laughs> That's the answer. I was going to say you there. You figured the it out right there. You know, Ernest, I, I heard you say something earlier, and I'm going to go back to that for just a minute because I've I've thought about it ever since you said it. You said. You know, nurses are included in room and board. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and that that just struck a chord with me because mm-hmm. it, it just made me think that historically, who does nursing? Mm-hmm. Women. 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 Right. So, and, and it also made me think of a law in the state of North Carolina has on the books called alienation of affection. And I don't know whether you're familiar with it, but it's a crazy <laughs> yeah. law that was yes. written years and years ago. Oh, yeah. And it was when they viewed women as property. Yes. property. And right. it's still on the books, by the way, in North yes. Carolina. Mm-hmm. But listening to you say that, it kept going through my head that the people that are still in charge still view the nurses as property and property. they're part of mm-hmm. it and that my friend that's is true. what's got to change that is true and that's well, what's got to change you know nurse anesthesia is 47 percent male and mm-hmm. i thank my lucky stars every day because if not yeah. mm-hmm. we wouldn't make the kind of money we do yeah oh absolutely because uh, uh, we would be feminized and yeah we wouldn't make any money yeah you're right but right. when the men and, come in they yeah. change that but change that. And, and and let me give you another example, because I, I spoke on, uh, I did a topic, um, well, it was two weeks ago now, for the Society for Critical Care Medicine, and uh, it was a plenary session on how nursing during the pandemic may have exacerbated the, uh, the nursing workforce uh, shortage. And what I did was to look, uh, go back and look at the historical perspective of the uh the various nursing shortages that have happened, like, you know, starting in the 30s, mm-hmm. well, actually the, the 20s and the 30s and et cetera. And part of it was, if you go back that far, women working outside the home, there were only three jobs that were acceptable. Mm-hmm. You were either a teacher, you were going to be a secretary. And of course, secretaries didn't start till around, you know, the 40s, 50s or so, because then before that, men were secretaries. Uh, and men were also teachers, or you could be a nurse. Mm-hmm. And that was pretty much uh, pretty much it. But then because you were still you know a female dominated profession, and you you're right in that, yes, you may have begun to get some autonomy, but again, you were still treated as, you know, a, 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 a servant, if yeah, you will, basically, yeah, and um, and that uh, you're gonna do what, do what I, I say. say or you're going to get paid what I said you're going to get paid and you know and and that's it so you had very little flexibility to be able to to flex your muscles and uh, again if you go back and look at the historical perspective Sharon just like what you said about men uh being in anesthesia 
as men begin to go into nursing, we begin to see salaries mm-hmm. increase because, mm-hmm. you know, just historically in a lot of jobs, not only nursing, but in a lot of jobs they uh, where men and women may be competing, the man is going to make more because, you know, he is considered the quote unquote breadwinner mm-hmm. of the, uh, the the family and therefore he deserves to to make more money. And I'm not saying that's right because it's not right. I mean, you should be equal pay for, you know, equal employment. But that's the way, uh, you know, historically, uh, you know, jobs have gone. And so that goes back to to, to your comment about what can the, uh, you know, the government do. Yeah. That's one of the things is just ensure that that nurses are paid equally for the same amount of, of mm-hmm. work that they're doing. Well, yeah. ERA still hasn't passed, but that's a whole yeah. other conversation. <laughs> yeah. So what yeah. are you going to do in your retirement, yeah. whatever that <laughs> looks like? <laughs> yeah. Well, right now I'm failing at retirement. <laughs> 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 yeah, I promised myself that I would take, uh, you know, the first three months off. And uh, so I, I messed up in January. You already lied to yourself. Like, you? <laughs> yeah, it looks like I'm well on the way to the same thing in February. So we'll, we'll see what happens in, in March. But I, I do plan to, um, I do want to write a book about my experience um, as a, uh, you know, getting us over the the pandemic pandemic and also uh, the work of the commission and ANA's reconciliation statement uh, uh, that we're working on and continuing to to work on. I'm, uh, you know, being approached about considering the possibility of uh, entering the uh, political realm. Um, My problem there, though, is that the people, if I chose to either run for the uh, the House, the State House, or the State Senate, um, the two I'd be running against friends. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> so, you know, a lot so, of that's about timing. Uh, you and I both yes, know that. Ernest. Yeah, yes, yes. So, uh, so we'll, you know, uh, that's certainly. Uh, a possibility there, and of course, I do need to find uh, uh, another job. I, I'd like to uh, do something, uh, you know, in the the policy arena. So, um, you know, who knows? Maybe uh, getting, uh, you know, serving as a uh, legislative assistant or something, uh, you know, with uh, either someone at the national level or even just like a, a think tank. Um, you know, that would uh, would be uh, something as well. But uh, right now, though, I'm still just trying to. Uh, wake up every morning and and say, no, you don't have to be in a meeting. No, you don't have to prep for an interview. And as you, know, you talk about what what I'm going to do next, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I think there's another saying about that. I'm talking yeah. out of both sides of my mouth. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, you, you, I'm I'm seeing the pattern here. You know, yeah. we're all probably very similar in personality, mm-hmm. and the fact that we've all got to be doing something, absolutely, or we yes. shrivel up and die. Yes, so, yeah. yes like a absolutely. fish. If when you yeah. quit absolutely. swimming, you sink to the bottom. Yes. Well, Ernest, we we want to thank you for being on the show, and we're we're going to wrap it up here. Anything you want to conclude on before we uh, we move on? No, just uh, yeah. Again, uh, thanks to your your listeners. Uh, You know, thanks for their help. uh, You know, during the uh, the pandemic, and uh, and thanks for their continued support. And you know, I uh, hope to be invited back for uh, for future conversations. I I I really enjoy uh, you know talking with the the both of you, and hope that. yeah, I will. Uh, we'll get an invitation to uh, to, to come back. So. Oh, you'll keep getting them. Don't say, block don't, my don't. cell phone number. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, and, and good luck in retirement. I mean, retirement. Excuse me. Yeah, uh, yeah. 
right. All right. Well, Sharon, I think it's a wrap. I think so. We want to thank our listeners for listening to Beyond the Mass with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. Sharon, if they like our show and want to help us grow, how can they help us out? Well, the best way to help us grow is to leave us a review, but make it positive. We all know there's enough negativity in this world. Uh, Share us on social media. Tell all your friends. We're in the top 50 medical podcasts in the country on the way to number one, of course. That's right. right. Until next time. It's a wrap. Have you thought about what would happen if you weren't able to work for two or three years? You know, on average, 25% of people will file a disability claim, and most of us aren't prepared for that loss of income. Every CRNA needs to protect their biggest asset, yourself and your ability to earn with a disability insurance policy. We recommend contacting Robert Smith, a master disability insurance specialist with more than 30 years of experience and 1,800 CRNA clients to find the coverage that fits you best. The best way to do that is to send him an email at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. That's rsmithjr at financialguide.com. Or call him at 504-394-6557. Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, President of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and President and Founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries to go to educational programs, buy equipment or textbooks. Your donations are tax deductible and we would appreciate your support. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you like to listen to shows. Also, be sure to check out beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Each episode is posted there with a corresponding blog post, and we timestamp important parts of the episode to help you quickly get to the content you're looking for. Also, check out the special series section on the site. You can follow along and catch up on the CRNA History Series, episodes specifically about political conversations in the industry, or try the CRNA Personal Finance Series. It's all on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And if you have a question for the show or want to be a guest or even suggest a particular topic, fill out the contact form on the site or send an email directly to us at info at beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And lastly, let's take the conversation social. Check out our Beyond the Mask podcast Facebook page and Facebook group.